1: Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Chinese President Xi Jinping has called for more to be done to make Asia an anchor for world peace and a powerhouse for global growth. He made the remarks in a video speech at the Boao Forum for Asia. He has also proposed a global security initiative to promote security for all in the world. Ao Zhi has the details.
2: The Chinese president has highlighted the vision of common, comprehensive, cooperative, and sustainable security for countries all over the world, calling on them to work together to maintain world peace and security. President Xi says no difficulties could ever stop the will of history.
0: As an ancient Chinese adage goes, one must not change his commitment or give up his pursuit, even in the face of danger and risk. A review of human history teaches us that the more difficult things get, the greater the need grows to stay confident. Problems are not to be afraid of, as it is one problem after another that have driven the progress of human society.
2: As the COVID-19 pandemic enters its third year, President Xi has also stressed the need to work together to defend people's lives and health. He has called for keeping COVID vaccines a global public good and ensuring that they are both accessible and affordable in developing countries.
0: For humanity to clinch a final victory against the COVID-19 pandemic, more hard efforts are needed. It is essential that countries support each other, better coordinate response measures and improve global public health governance so as to form strong international synergy against the pandemic.
2: China has so far provided over 2.1 billion doses of vaccines to more than 120 countries and international organizations. The Chinese president says China has honored its commitments with actions in delivering vaccines abroad or producing them overseas. He also says China will follow through the pledged donation of 600 million doses of vaccines to Africa. And 150 million to ASEAN countries as part of the effort to close the immunization gap. Turning to economy, President Xi Jinping says he believes the Chinese economy will provide great dynamism for the world economy to stabilize and recover, and at the same time offer broader market opportunities for all countries.
0: China will fully apply its new development philosophy, accelerate the establishment of a new development paradigm and redouble efforts for high-quality development. No matter how the world will change, China's faith in and its commitment to reform and opening up will not waver.
2: He points out that the fundamentals of the Chinese economy remain unchanged, citing its strong resilience, enormous potential, vast room for maneuvering and long-term sustainability. Sharing his view on the development of Asia itself, President Xi Jinping has called for continued efforts to make Asia an anchor for world peace, a powerhouse for global growth, and a new pace setter for international cooperation. The Chinese president has also called on countries around the world to work together to tackle global governance challenges. To that end, he has stressed the need to uphold true multilateralism and firmly safeguard the international system with the UN at its core and the international order underpinned by international law.
1: Well, for more on this, joined us on the line now is uh, Professor Liu Baocheng from the University of International Business and Economics, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So welcome to the show, gentlemen.
3: A pleasure to be here, Chaoyang.
1: So first, Aina, President Xi has delivered a speech at the Boao Forum for Asia and proposed a global security initiative. So tell us your general thoughts and how do you look at this initiative?
3: Well, global uh, security is, uh, is, is just one of the major areas. that if, if you look at his speech, it was uh, about, uh, you know, politics, economy, security. Uh, and it was, and it broke it down into uh, different issues in terms of what is needed in the world. Now, in terms of uh, the security, there's a lot of attention paid because he he had this phrase, "indivisible security," and this is something that was a phrase that was uh, developed in Europe, and uh, you know China is in essence bringing that forward. So this is kind of going towards European ideas. What they want is uh, you know having all these countries closely packed together. They learned through the Westphalian system that you, you know, your country, you do what you need to do and you just get along with other countries. You do not try to force them uh, to adopt your systems. It's very different from the U.S. idea of American exceptionalism. So what he's saying is uh, basically that countries should have their right to security.
1: And so, Baocheng, what do you make of the basic principles of this initiative?
4: Uh, in so many occasions over the past few years, uh, politicians talk about peace and prosperity as the popular rhetoric, but uh, President presidency start uh, with peace and security. Uh, I think it's very interesting to note the change of such a tone, that he is there to refer and defend the bottom line, because without peace and security, you can hardly usher in any prosperity. So right now, uh, there are a number of uh, immediate threats uh, for uh, such peace and security, uh, given the uh, pandemic that continue to plague the whole world uh, with life and with the economy. And also given the uh, geopolitical uh, uh, conflicts, you know, he's pinpointing those actually disturbing uh, uh, events. Uh, that really uh there to uh, threaten uh, the whole world, peace and security the other is that uh there are people who are facing uh, hunger and de- uh due to the pandemic and due to the original conflict so the uh, you know attention should also be uh there to be paid not only to those who are uh, being uh, threatened by the bombs and bullets but also by the lack of food mm-hmm. so all of this really add up to uh, uh propel uh, the a very strong message from president Xi. is said okay you know guys look at the real situation and then uh the you know who is really contributing to peace and security and who is there to destruct peace and uh, security let's uh you know he also time and again wanted to defend the un charter and follow the justice uh, principle set forth by the global community.
1: Mm. And Aina, so he said that uh, Asia should be an anchor for world peace and a powerhouse for the global growth. So how can Asia deliver this kind of uh, much-needed growth?
3: Asia is uh, now over 50% of the production, world production, and it's climbing uh, very close to 50% of world GDP. Uh, it's been growing uh, faster than any other uh, area in uh, consistently over the last 20 years faster than any other area uh, since the financial uh, for the state asian financial crisis has been growing at a faster rate than any other uh, area of the world so it, it is already producing it has the markets uh, the sheer mass of people that you need to you know to have a consumer uh, driven economy uh, so asia is there it, what's interesting about this is saying it because traditionally if you ask people around the world what are the economic anchors They would say, well, uh, U.S., uh, Europe, Uh, this is, you know, the fact that no one is disputing this tells you what a sea change is happening. And that, you know, everything that we have taken for granted that was created in the post-World War II uh, era, all all of that is now going away. And Mm -hmm. what she is saying, it's time for a new framework. Mm. and it has to engage all of these issues politics economic and security mm.
1: and baocheng I also wants to talk about the rcep rcep is the world's largest free trade agreement that is uh, definitely going to be a catalyst in terms of spurring our global recovery forward so what's its role in the regional cooperation and what can rcep bring to trade and opening up well
4: uh, uh the regional comprehensive economic partnership is a uh, alliance of 15 uh, 15- Countries to reduce tariffs to allow the free flow of economic resources and facilitation of uh, uh, inve- uh, investment across the members. So uh, that's really a more of a duplicate of the WTO rules, but uh, it's being more uh, realistically and practically implemented, and that's also a great contributor. To the uh, growth and to uh, have Asia serving as a locomotive for global uh, economic growth and recovery, and more than that, I I should say that uh, by further engaging with each other, you know, through years of negotiation and dialogue, uh, the uh, uh, the understanding of different uh, institutional uh, setting, uh, uh, different culture, even among the uh, general oriental culture, uh, we still have a lot of differences and uh, people really build more of the trust, which is really the foundation for uh, further cooperation. And so uh, and when President Xi is talking about peace and the security, actually, the peace and security that is very well maintained, despite of the some of the grudges and even uh, previous skirmishes, uh, the we relatively maintain a very stable and uh, friendly uh, environment within Asia, and and then also China is uh, uh, for, you know China has filed a formal application to join the uh, CPTPP, uh, which is the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership. They uh, and now it shows that China is uh, a non allied country, but uh, uh, would like to team up with all the neighbors to have a shared goal of economic growth and prosperity and peace.
1: Mm, So, Aina, so what opportunities do you think the RCEP can bring to trade and opening
3: up? To me, there's uh, some immediate gains. You have uh, places like Vietnam and things. uh, They really see a a very quick uh, add on this in terms of their ability to trade into these large markets with reduced uh, tariffs, there's only one rule to trade within in the block. There are set- aside. Each country has about five percent that they can set aside, and that goes away over time. But w- where I, I really believe the benefit of this is that by making it simple, you're at, in essence helping small medium-sized business entities, which in every single one of these countries is the economic uh, power that underlies it. I mean, if you look at China, you know, the amount that SOEs contribute, it might go up in dollar terms, but it goes down in terms of percentage of the economy. And mm-hmm. it's the small and medium-sized enterprise, it's 90% of new jobs, 80% of existing jobs. And this is not only true for China, it's true for everywhere. So RCEP is really a means to creating economic vitality, making it interesting, I mean, making it easier. And with a digital uh, currencies, it's going to be even less expensive uh, for you know a farmer in Malaysia to ship something, uh, produce, to uh, a market in China because it can all be handled electronically. There's no, not lots of forms. You don't have to go through the, the whole process of filling out and knowing the laws of the country. It's all included. So this will free things up. And most importantly, this is about efficiency.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: The, uh, the block itself, the more efficient it is, All right. The better off the consumers in that market are Mm -hmm. and the more attractive their goods are for export beyond the RCEP. So it's not just within the RCEP. The efficiencies there will drive exports to other uh, to other parts of the world.
1: Mm -hmm. And let's turn to COVID now. President Xi said for humanity to clinch a final victory against the pandemic, it is essential that countries should support each other, better coordinated uh, response measures, and uh, improve the global public health governance to form the strong international synergy. So, Aina, how can the international community fight back as other uncertainties keep cropping up, such as uh, conflicts, uh, the inflation, the food shortages, et cetera, et cetera?
3: Well, there was a a perfect opportunity. It was the G20 uh, last year. And what happened is the major countries punted. They did not. They said, well, we have our own problems. Uh, We cannot be concerned about the problems of these developing countries. To give you an idea of how serious this is, 60% of the developing countries are at a point now where they're using uh, 50% of their government revenues to pay off debts. And this is at a time of rising inflation, where you have places like Sri Lanka, they can't afford energy. Without energy, you cannot run an economy. And unfortunately, you know, the richest nations, Europe and, uh, and uh, the U.S., are not responding to it. They're just saying, gee, we have our own problems, we can't be bothered with you. But these nations have to remember, they sit on top of the pyramid. And that pyramid is made up of these developing countries. And if those developing countries falter, their economies, in turn, will also feel the pain.
1: Mm. We're speaking with Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Liu Baocheng, Professor from the University of International Business and Economics. And after a short break, we'll continue to talk about this year's Boa Forum for Asia. Stay with us.
0: Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoy the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years to come.
1: You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. So, Baocheng, about the Boao Forum for Asia itself, so what are the highlights for this year and what are some of the major discussions that you are watching for?
4: Well, they have uh, too many very uh, very important issues like digital economy, global growth, and green development, the peace and security, uh, the uh, infrastructure uh, development, etcetera, uh, financial serv, uh, financial uh, coordination, etcetera. So uh, what really uh, stands out is really uh, Boao has been serving as a anchor for uh, the Asian voice, uh, uh, which is um, Uh, There to not only there to counterbalance of uh, some of the uh, unified opinions from the Western world, uh, but, you know, Asia, given its uh, economic strengths and given their uh, uh, strong uh, interest, they need to be heard uh, over uh, what lies in in their uh, future and what really uh, are the paramount problems. And So to, in connection with the previous discussion, mm. nowadays, you know, we are, you know, facing uh, two uh, very important issues. Uh, one is the uh, pandemic. The other is the regional conflict. And also, you know, one third element is also the uh, climate change issue that needs to be Uh, paid attention to.
1: So, Aina, so a lot of discussions over there, but global economic outlook is a key discussion among them. So when we talk about today's global economy, we have to mention of course the COVID and the conflict in Ukraine and which are, you know, having repercussions globally through various channels, including the rising energy prices, food insecurity, uh, turmoil in financial markets, etc. etc. So how do you explain this? uh, you know, knock-on effects?
3: Well, I mean, the the knock-on effects were predictable. And, uh, you know, there's a question of which side was uh, thinking what. Uh, The U.S. uh, saw, many in the U.S., not everybody, saw this as an opportunity. America can grow more food than it can uh, can consume. It can, therefore, be a provider of wheat um, and corn and any other produce that is necessary uh, in the European and Middle East and African markets. It can also sell a lot of energy. So, it could supplant Russia. From the US's perspective, they know that you cannot simply switch off the energy that they produce, uh, especially as it uh, applies to gas. The gas was going through pipelines. Now, in the future, if the US is going to supply it, they're going to have to liquefy it. That means taking it down to hundred and negative 165 degrees centigrade, sending it in special ships. And then having received that expensive receiving stations that gradually warm it up and put it into the pipe system so that takes that's a lot of infrastructure it takes a lot of time to put that in in the meantime there are very few alternatives in fact there are none uh, no one has the excess capacity and even if they did they couldn't get it to you and if they could get it to you you couldn't receive it mm. so at this juncture uh, there's a, been a lot of calculations. Um, unfortunately It's who's the worst loser, as opposed to who's winning at this juncture.
1: Mm -hmm. And Aina, so what about the COVID pandemic? It's been three years. What are some of the financial effects of it?
3: In terms of the economic consequences, obviously, in areas around the world that did not grow in the last two years the way that China did, uh, it's been devastating. And China was able to avoid that uh, by its zero COVID policy. It grew at 10 point, over 10.2 uh, percent during that period where other nations were in negative numbers and then very small positive ones. So, you know, people have to have an understanding that overall China has done very well in terms of uh, the knock-on effects, of course logistics huge part of it uh factories can't produce because they can't get the the things that they need the shipping routes trucking routes train routes are all inundated uh there's a lot of pence up demand the u.s has all of this stimulus money that they're pumping into the system and people are, are you know they've delayed things for a while now they want things so whether it's washing machines and dryers for this uh, the, n- the number of houses that have been new houses that have been uh, built and sold and people want to furnish them uh, to, you know, uh, the basic materials for that, a uh, you know, uh, lot of electronic goods, etc. So mm-hmm. there's these drivers that's going in, but it's actually right now driving up inflation. And that's really uh, the issue. Both of these issues, Ukraine and uh, these uh, in COVID are having this effect of driving the inflation because it's increasing the cost of goods to their final destination.
1: Mm -hmm. And Baocheng, so green has always been featured at the forum. Against the backdrop of the global recovery, how should the BRI countries work together to create a green and sustainable development path?
4: The key is that uh, they need really to find a fi- uh, fine balance in a dynamic fashion as uh, uh, for economic growth uh, versus the uh, climate change issues because uh, they do not really go hand in hand at the moment given the energy structure and therefore uh, China took the lead actually to refrain from exporting the coal-driven uh, power generators which is uh, uh, a uh, one of the commitment to the. Uh, global climate change issue however uh, you know the uh, industrialization urbanization are very much uh, still uh, desired by the Belt and Road countries and they they do uh, wanted to uh, place the priority on economic growth and uh, the uh, less concern uh, in relativity uh, is on really the long-term e- uh, impact of uh, environmental pollution so uh, one is that how we can really uh, implement the uh, uh, United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals into those countries, and by uh, you know uh, taking the same uh, position. Uh, in those decision makers uh, at the local point, instead of say simply finger pointing to those countries. So, you know, why do you want it to grow the economy uh, while, you know, you are damaging the environment. So there has to, to be a compromise. The other is that, okay, you know, the, the whole world are looking at, you know, revolutionary changes in the energy. So people, uh, you know, look at all the renewable ones and uh, uh, expect a breakthrough. But, uh, it's going to take a far longer time than people have anticipated to have the renewable energy as the mainstay in the power generation. So, you know, we have to be more realistic. And of course, you know, uh, uh, technology does help uh, to build a cleaner energy, but so far fossil-based ones uh, seems to be uh, are there to stay for quite a long time before renewable energy can really be there to substitute them on a large scale. Mm-hmm.
1: And Aina, so digital economy is a you know, hot topic this year. So how will the digital economy contribute to the uh, post-pandemic recovery and what changes will it bring to the economic uh, structure?
3: Well, it's it's all about efficiency, as I was uh, talking about earlier. Uh, digitalization allows you to cut costs and to speed things up. So this uh, ultimately cuts costs consumers. They can have the same goods, but as, at a uh, much lesser price or a lesser increase. So this is very, very good economies because it then creates additional uh, monies that can be spent on other goods or services. Uh, so the digital economy is really, really important, especially when you start looking on terms of global competitiveness. If mm. uh, In Asia, they're able to do transactions at a fraction of the cost. For instance, you know when we talk about credit card fees in, in uh, Europe, it can be between 2 and 3%. If you t- start talking about what is the fee for uh, transferring electronic money in China, it's going to be 0.02%. Mm. So th- this is a really, really huge sea change. It gives Um, the companies in Asia ability to to move forward. But there are other parts of this, which I was very interested in, which is the standards things. In order for all of this stuff to work, these countries have to work out standards. Mm
1: -hmm. And Baocheng, so talking about China's economy, China's GDP grew by 4.8% year on year in quarter one. And this year, an economic growth target of around 5.5% has been set. So what kind of tools do we have to achieve that?
4: Uh, First, we have to recognize that this is going to be a very tough uphill battle. Uh, In terms of policy tools, there are plenty of them because uh, uh, if you compare uh, United States and Europe, uh, they almost have uh, zero interest rate, but China maintains a a high interest rate. So uh, right now, the uh, Chinese government and central bankers still wanted to maintain a a very stable uh, monetary and fiscal policy. So the key lies in how we can really support the economy.
1: Mm, And Ina, so people also talk a lot about deglobalization or reglobalization. So where do you see that going?
3: Well, you're going to see it continuing in areas which uh, countries think are are critical. The U.S. obviously believes that Uh, You know, its technology is critical and they're going to try to play keep away from uh, China. Uh, It's not clear how that all is going to work out, because if there's no reciprocity, you're going to, you know, already you're seeing China developing its own chips and going its own way. And as a result, what was intended to weaken China is actually long term going to strengthen it. But it does drive up costs. So uh, once again, I'm going to go back to the the most efficient economy is the one that wins. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have. So when you start talking about globalization, it really lowered prices and it increased the uh, the wealth and the amount of uh, economic activity that was going around the world. And I mean to developing countries. It was a very good time for them. Everyone just thinks about it in terms of China. But it was a good thing for the entire world, not so much from the uh, developed countries in terms of total economic activity. They dropped in terms of their percentage of the world's GDP. But keep in mind, they kept two-thirds of the world's profits. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't uh, without uh, a silver lining that goes there. But right now, uh, especially with uh, Boal, what you're seeing is regionalization. Mm -hmm. The RCEP, Belt and Road, these are all efforts to try to uh, fill the hole that was created by the U.S. objection to allowing the WTO to function.
1: Well, thank you for both of the two gentlemen. And that was Aina uh, Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Liu Baocheng, Professor with the University of International Business and Economics. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.